grace. Amen. Esther chapter number four. Esther chapter number four this morning. We've been uh, preaching through the book of Esther verse by verse on Wednesday nights this uh, last few weeks. And since we didn't have our regular midweek service this week, I thought I'd take advantage of the Sunday school hour. That way we don't uh, miss, miss where we're at and kind of stay with the flow of the text. And uh, so Esther chapter number four uh, this morning, I've enjoyed studying and reading this book. And I'll have the notes from the lesson, uh, Lord willing, I have those available tonight uh, once I get everything uh, printed off. And uh, so I'm running about an hour behind because my cell phone broke, and that's my alarm clock. And so I said, so I'll just use my iPad as my alarm clock because I know those of y'all over 50 don't believe, but we don't have a regular clock in our house. We just use the phone. And apparently my iPad alarm is not as loud as my cell phone alarm because I heard my wife's alarm that goes off an hour later. So uh, I still got here pretty early, but I'm, I'm running an hour behind, so I did not get your uh, notes done but we'll have those available tonight. So the book of Esther, as we've been dealing with, uh, it is one of the only two books in the Bible that's named after a woman, of course the other being the book of Ruth. Uh, and there's an interesting study in studying the contrast between Ruth and Esther, one being a Gentile, one being a Jew, uh, one being a Gentile uh, coming into a Jewish family, the other one being a Jew and entering a Gentile family and how God used both of these ladies respectively. It's also interesting that the book of Esther is one of only other two other books in the Bible where the name God, the Lord, uh, does not appear, does not uh, identify His name specifically, but we do see the hand of God all throughout the book of Esther, and that is our thought, the God who works behind the scenes. And even though we don't see God directly, uh, we don't see God uh, moving as far as, as we do in other books. He's definitely moving, and He's definitely working. We saw, we've tried to give a heading in each chapter. We saw God working behind the scenes in chapter 1 in the character of Vashti, how she been most likely a lost woman, a very wicked woman, but she had enough character to, re to refuse what her husband requested. What was that? God working behind the scenes in chapter 2. In the choosing of Esther, out of all the virgins in the land, out of all the women in the land that could have been chosen to be the next queen, God allowed the only, as far as we know, there could have been others, but God allowed specifically Esther to be chosen to be the next queen. Chapter 3, the commitment of Mordecai, how he would not bow to Haman. What is that? It is God working behind the scenes. This morning... As we, and we'll do like we have been. I'm trying not to outline. I'm trying just to do a running commentary. I'm seeing outlines, and I am writing them down for later, but I'm trying to stay committed to just doing a running commentary in this. This morning, I want to see the choice of Esther, how God works behind the scenes. So as our custom is, we'll begin in verse number 1, and we'll commentate as we go. The Bible says, When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes, and went out in the midst of the city and cried with a loud voice and a bitter cry. And came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. Now, immediately in verse number 1, we see this little phrase, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, that immediately ties us back to chapter 3. And so for sake of context and reminder, we are reminded that Haman has uh, devised a plan 
He has devised a plot, if you would, to annihilate the Jews. One writer I was reading behind this week said that Haman, being the enemy of the Jew, is also a type of the Antichrist. And truly, you can see that. This man said he was appointed to his office. And the man of sin, the Antichrist, he's not going to take over. He's going to take over peacefully. It's not going to be a... uh, uh, a, What's the word I'm looking for? He's not going to take over forcefully. He'll be peacefully. They're going to give him peace. They're going to give him rule. He'll take over peacefully. Authority was given to him from the king. The Antichrist will be given power from the king of hell. He attempts to exterminate the Jews. Uh, Of course, that will be the Antichrist plot during the middle of the tribulation period. He'll break that peace treaty. Uh, The adoration was commanded to Haman. He wanted people to bow. And thus, the mark of the beast, things of that nature, all through Revelation, won't take time to deal with all that. But that's what Satan wants. He wants worship. And so there's a lot of lessons you could see in there. Uh, And I I didn't look this up. This man said the addition of his name. He said, you take Haman the wicked, and you take the numerical value, it equals to 666. Now, I did not have time to look at that this morning. Um, I think I trust this writer. I'm not sure. We'll find out later. But um, we we do know that is the number of the Antichrist in in Revelation chapter 13. Uh, But we are reminded that the Antichrist will not win and Haman did not win. You know, we got to be careful when we read these stories in the Bible because we don't see the emotion and the panic that is in God's people. Here's why. We've got the whole Revelation. We know how the book of Esther ends. We know that Haman is going to be hung on his own gallows. We know that Esther is going to receive favor before the king. We know that Mordecai is going to be raised to second in command, if you would, next to the king. We know all that. But they don't know that in these verses. They are living these things. We know, you know, none of us get bothered at Genesis 22 when God tells Abraham to take Isaac up the mountain and slay him. You know why it don't bother us? We know the ram's going to show up. By the way, we worry about things in our life, but God ain't worried. He's already seen the end from the beginning. That'll make us Calvinists. That makes us Christians. Amen. And so that is the context. The time of the execution would be one year from this point. And in these verses, Mordecai, he's perceived all these things that Haman is planned. And he does, he does four ways to show his agony. First of all, he rents his clothes in verse number one. This word rent literally means to tear away. Secondly, he put on sackcloth. Sackcloth was a very coarse black material which caused chafing when it came in direct contact with the skin. It was to purpose to make one uncomfortable. Number three, he placed ashes upon his head. This was a symbol of humility and acknowledged and reminded all of us that we come from the dust of the ground. And then fourthly, he went out into the midst of the city and began to cry out what the Bible calls a bitter cry. What's interesting about Mordecai is in chapter number 3, he stood with boldness against Haman. But in chapter number 4, he is, if you would, kneeling in sorrow against Haman. Here, here's the point, and he has a sorrow and brokenness. Both were quite effective. You see, there are times that you've got to stand and be bold. But then there are times you've got to approach with brokenness. You see, Mordecai is not being a crybaby in this text, and we'll see it more. What he is doing is right because what he is, what he is doing is getting the attention of Esther. You remember Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter number 1, how he came before the king when he heard about the condition of the walls, and he was broken, he was sorrowful. You know, you know we don't see much of that in our churches. 
We don't see much brokenness. We've got the boldness down to a certain extent, but where's the brokenness over these situations? He goes into this, he goes to the midst of the cities crying out, but he didn't stop there. Verse number two, and he came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. Now he had access to go into the king's gate, but not with the sackcloth. So why did he go to the gate? He went to the gate to get Esther's attention. Look at verse number 3. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was a great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. You see, not only did Mordecai act this way, but all the Jews that heard the command, that heard the salutation, the word of Haman, they all began to weep. May I remind you what that was? It wasn't just mom and dad are going to be killed, but even every child. Every Jewish child will be killed under Haman's plot. We find that all these Jews in verse number 2 and verse number 3, they begin to fast. We know that this word fasting is directly connected to prayer. We find, you know, sadly we don't know much about fasting in the day and age we live in. One man said we know a lot about feasting, but not much about fasting. What I love about this text is there's a lot of argument on these, because some of the Jews had already returned back to the land, and some of these Jews remained in Persia, and there's a lot of argument, were they right, were they wrong? It was God's will for them to be in their land. But I will say this, what a merciful God. Because even when they, wasn't, when they wasn't where they were supposed to be, God still heard their prayer. In fact, He made a promise to them in 1 Kings chapter number uh, 8, verses 46 through 50, in that prayer of Solomon, He said, If they sin against thee, for there is no man that sinneth not, and thou be angry with them, and deliver them to the enemy. So they carry them away captive unto the land of the enemy, far or near. Yet, if they shall bethink themselves in the land where they were carried captives, and repent, and make supplication unto thee in the land that they have carried them captive, saying, We have sinned, and we have done perversely, we have committed wickedness, and so return unto thee with all their heart, with all their soul in the land of their enemies, which led them, led them away captive, and pray unto thee toward the land which thou gavest unto their fathers, the city which thou hast chosen, the house which I have built for thy name. Then hear thou their prayer and supplication in heaven, thy dwelling place, and maintain their cause, and forgive thy people that have sinned against thee, and all their transgression wherein they have transgressed against thee. And give them compassion before them who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them. God is a God of judgment. There's no doubt about that. But Micah said he is also a God who delights in mercy. And I want to remind us this morning. That, and by the way, that's not a license to sin. That should be, that should be a desire not to sin. A God that merciful, that, that loves us and cares about us. And even when we're not where we're supposed to be, and not who we're supposed to be, and not where we're supposed to be, He still hears our prayer. Now I understand Psalm 66, verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But I think that verse gets taken out of context sometimes. That verse didn't say if I have sin... If I've sinned, he won't hear me. He says, if I regard iniquity. That word regard literally means to put a rear guard. It means you're protecting something. It means you know that something's wrong. You've got iniquity, sin, and transgression. You're hiding something against God. You're not hiding it, but you know, you understand, you're trying to protect it, that pet sin. But these people, I believe they're being honest before the Lord. I believe they see that desperation and they realize that this situation, their children are going to die. Their families are going to die if God don't do something. 
Many times we, we lack that desperation in our lives. I know I do. May God help us. We find verse number, verse number 4, So Esther's maids and chamberlains came and told it her. And then was the queen exceedingly grieved. What are they grieved at? When she sees Mordecai crying at the king's gate in the sackcloth. And she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him. But he received it not. The servants of Esther informed the queen that Mordecai is standing before the gate in sackcloth and ashes. He's weeping. He's wailing. And she becomes grieved in her spirit, the Bible said. The word grieved means to be in distress. She don't know what's going on. She is not aware of, of, of Haman's plot. It was custom of that day if someone had a loved one that died that they would put on sackcloth and ashes. Remember the book of Job? It's what Job did when all that tragedy happened. He rent his clothes and he put on sackcloth and sat in the ashes. She does not know that. That's why some commentators believe that she sent a change of raiment as a sign of condolences, is, is trying to make things better. But the Bible said Mordecai refused it. He re received it not. You know, many times we're trying to repair inward issues with outward solutions. He had an inward sorrow, an inward, not a bitterness as far as unforgiveness, but he had a bitter cry. And she tried to fix it with an outward solution. And we do the same way many times. We try to fix inward problems with outward solutions. People do that with their salvation. Well, I'm going to clean up my life first. No, you don't clean up your life. You come to God. You repent as, and you come before God. And God works from the inside out. That, that, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. God, God works from the inside out. And by the way, if God's working on the inside, it will come out. Amen. Amen. And that was the Pharisees' problem. They were working from the outside in. And Jesus said, you're white as sepulchers. The outside of the cup's clean. Everything looks good on the outside, but inwardly you're full of dead man's bones. You're full of excess. Verse number 5, after he re refuses it, the Bible said, Then called Esther for Haddock, one of the king's chamberlain, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Haddock went forth to Mordecai under the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. Esther sends an informant, if you would, to Mordecai. Some have speculated, and we've already mentioned this, why did Mordecai come to the gate? I believe he came to get Esther's attention because he knew that in himself he could not solve this issue. He needed someone who had a relationship with the king to solve this issue. That'll come to play in, in a moment. Verse number six. I love the I love the unfolding drama of this story. That's why I love the book of Esther. It just unfolds and unfolds and unfolds. Verse six. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasury for the Jews to destroy them. And he gave the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them to show it unto Esther and to declare unto her and to charge her that she should go into the king to make supplication to him and to make requests before him for her people. We are reminded that Haman is not only making this plot, but he is financially supporting this. I was reading this morning, uh, I think it was either in maybe Wearsby, I can't remember, but he said that this 10,000 talents that Haman was going to pay for this a wicked deed uh, was around 12 million ounces of silver. And at, 30, uh, at $30 per ounce, that would total to $360 million. Boy, hatred will make you do some strange things, won't it? 
$360 million just to kill all the Jews. The purpose of Mordecai sending, sending this informant back was not only to inform Esther of what was going on, but to involve her. See, a lot of people are informed, but they don't want to get involved. He, he, Mordecai just didn't need Esther to know. He needed her to do something about it. And notice the final two words in verse number 8, her people. Up until this point, it appears as though that Esther has not revealed her identity as a Jew. But now it's revealed. And if we're not, I believe Mordecai had done this to remind Esther who she was. Not that she'd forgotten that she was a Jew. Not that she'd forgotten that she was a captive. But she's living the high life. She's living in the palace. Of course, it's not the ideal marriage. But it's still better than most of her kinfolks where they're living at in Persia. And, if, and, and I believe Mordecai had done that to remind her, hey, this is going to affect you. And if we're not careful, we'll get adjusted to our surroundings. And we'll get adjusted to this world. And we, we often forget that we don't belong here. I believe Mordecai said to your people, your, her people, Esther, this is your crowd. We don't belong here. Our land is another land. We, don't, we, we belong in Israel. We belong in Judah. We're, not, we're in here, but we're not of this place. Verse number 9, and Haddock came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. And again, Esther spake unto Haddock and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come into the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. You see why I say it wasn't an ideal marriage? For 30 days. It wasn't that he'd been gone for 30 days on a trip. They're living in the same palace. Of course, it's a massive place, but he'd not even called for his wife for 30 days. And she says, look, there ain't nothing I can do about it. I can't go before the king. She couldn't just go. Ain't this crazy? She couldn't even go and have a conversation with her husband. She could be killed if he had not called for her. And the only way that she could be accepted was if he lifted out that golden scepter to her, a sign of welcoming, a sign of acceptance. And, Morde and she said, I, I, I can't do this. There's no earthly way for me to do this. I like Brother Brian McBride said, when you can't see an earthly way, look for a heavenly way. If we're not careful, when people try to involve us, we begin to make excuses of why we can't. Maybe it's, maybe it's missions. Maybe it's witnessing to somebody. And, we, and God will speak to our heart about something. Or, or somebody will uh, maybe ask us to help with a project or something. We'll begin to give all the excuses why we can't do that for the Lord. Some of y'all, I asked you last Sunday, and we're going to, not everybody got to testify last Sunday night, and we're going we're gonna to have maybe another service with that. But I asked everybody to write down a list of things you're thankful for because we just going to have a testimony service, a time of thanksgiving. And some of y'all were dreading that I was going to call on you. You're giving all your excuses. Well, I don't speak well in front of people. Nobody does. How many preachers have you heard get up and preach and say, I couldn't even read a book report in school? You can tell we don't have a problem talking now. <laughs> but we begin to make excuses. Why we can't do this? Why we can't do that? That's what Esther's doing in this text. Verse number 12. And they told Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. They're going back and forth. You see this? Can you imagine Haddock? He's probably getting tired. He's going all the way up here, walking down the gate, walking back. He's got a good memory, but he's probably getting a little tired. 
just things I think about reading the Bible, all right? Verse 13, Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their, their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Now, I'm not being critical. I preach this text, but usually that's the only verse you hear preached out of the book of Esther. There's a whole lot more to it than that. But that is probably the, the key verse in Esther. Mordecai says, look, Esther, just because uh, it's not affecting you directly, don't think you're going to escape. Don't think you're going to make it out because they know, Haddock knows now you're a Jew. And if Haman finds out you're a Jew, the king is not going to have a problem killing you. Look what he did under the last queen. She wouldn't even come down uh, and present herself before the men, and he had her exiled and had a law wrote against her. So you're not going to escape. He reminds her, not only that, but then he reminds her, and I noticed this last night. I was reading over these verses just refreshing my, my memory and refreshing my thoughts last night. Watch what he said in verse number 14. For if thou oughtest together, holdest thy peace at this time. He said, if you don't, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. That's a statement of faith. Mordecai said, look, if you don't, God's going to deliver the Jews. Ain't that interesting? I, I've never noticed that until last night. He said, it's gonna, we're going to be delivered. Mordecai had some faith. But he also had reality. He said, but thou and thy father's house, Mordecai say, saying, which includes me, shall be destroyed. Somebody said, is he contradicting himself? No, God's going to preserve that Jew. But there are some Jews that died. You ever heard of the Holocaust? There's going to be Jews died in the tribulation period, but God's going to preserve that nation. But just because God's going to preserve the nation, he said, Esther, don't mean we're going to make it out alive if you don't do something. And then he reminds her of God's providence. He said, and who knoweth where thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Now, I was reading again this morning and finishing up my notes, and I thought about this. Our theme in this book is the God who works behind the scenes. And I think Mordecai began to see some of it. He said, who knows, all of this might have happened. God might have brought you to this point for such a time as this. May I remind you, God don't make no accidents. God does not just do anything happenstancely. Everything, we say coincidence, God says providence. That word providence, we said, means one man said to provide in advance. Aren't you glad God's always a step, of the ha a step ahead? Before there was a devil, there was a savior. Amen. Before there was a sin, sinner, there was a sacrifice. Amen. I was reading in Genesis 1 this week, before there was dark, before, before the, the devil deceived, there was truth. It's all there. There was hope, there was salvation. Before all that, God's always a step ahead. And such is the case in this text this morning. We find this in the life of Joseph. Joseph in Genesis 50, standing for his brethren, said, As bad as for you, ye thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Remember what Joseph went through? Genesis 37, he's, he's thrown in the pit. He's sold into slavery. He's lied on by Potiphar's wife. He's cast into the prison. And this doesn't in a two-week span. This is years and at the end of it, Joseph said, God 
was working the whole time to bring me to this point to save my family physically. God, God knows what he's doing. God's setting things up and God's working things. The Calvinists love to take that and say, see, see, God's, God's got all this. And, and I know God knows the end from the beginning. But God gave man a free will. And God uses things and God orchestrates things. He is working behind the scenes. That should encourage us this morning because we are living in a wicked day. We're living in a wicked land, but I'm glad to know it don't matter how bad it is, God is still working and God is still moving and God's hand is not short and that He cannot save. Verse 15, Then Esther bade and returned Mordecai this answer, Go gather all the Jews that are present at Shushan and fast ye for me. Neither eat nor drink three days, and, uh, three days night or day. I also, and my maidens will... Likewise, well, fast likewise, and so will I go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. Now, I'm not sure which of uh, Mordecai's three points in verse number 14 turned Esther's heart, but something got a hold of her. She said, you know what? She said, you tell all, them, you tell all the foot people to fast for me. I thought this was interesting. She said, I and my maidens will fast. It appears she had some kind of a godly influence on the maidens because they are going to fast with her. And notice, notice her resolve and her faith. If I perish, I perish. I'm going to die. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die trying. I'm going to try doing, I'm going to do what's right even if it costs me. As this chapter, and I wrote this down, Esther realized the big picture. But most of the time, we're focused on the selfie. Now think about it. She realized the big picture. There's more. Because in verse number 11, she's worried about her dying. But in verse 16, she realizes the big picture. Don't live the, if you allow me to use the language, don't live the selfie life. I remember Brother Wells preaching on that at uh, Brother Massingale's probably five or six years ago, you preached on the, I don't know if that was the title, but that was the, the selfie life. Focused on self, but she saw the big picture. In verse 17, as our chapter concludes, Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him, meaning he went and commanded the Jews to fast and to pray that God would give Esther favor. Now as we, as we close the lesson, let me give you four practical thoughts from this chapter. First of all, in verses 1 through 4, I wrote this down. It should bother us if it doesn't bother us. Mordecai hears about all the Jews are going to be killed. What was his response? It wasn't like most of ours. He got concerned about it. The prophet Jeremiah said in Lamentations 1, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. It ought to bother us if it don't bother us. Second thing I would say, and this is a little typology, but I had to include it. Not only it should bother us if it don't bother us, but we also need to remember we have an intercessor. Now, a lot of guys, and I wouldn't be critical, all typology falls off. But ain't it interesting, Mordecai had a need, and he needed to get to the king. But he had no way of getting to the king. But he was related to somebody that could go to the king on his behalf. And so he went to that one who could go to the king, an intercessor, 
Job called it a daysman. You see, you picking up what I'm laying down? We have needs, but aren't you glad we have an intercessor and the Lord Jesus Christ that goes to God on our behalf? Then I would say, and I've already hit this, but there is the bigger picture, verses 9 through 14. Mordecai instructs and informs and involves Esther in this situation to realize it's more than her life that's at stake. And the last thing I wrote down is just do what's right. Esther did what was right by fasting and making a decision to get involved. She's praying. She's involved in prayer. She's seeking the hand of God and the favor of God in this matter. We're living in a wicked day. Sometimes it's hard to see God. You know, you read those, you read those old books and you, read, you, read, you even read the Bible and it seems like God just so evident in everything and now the day and age we're living in, it's hard, it seems to see, it's hard to see God move. Well, one thing is we're too, we can't sit still long enough. And we're too distracted. But even though you don't see him working, he's working. I thought about this, and I'm, I, and I'm done. In Genesis chapter 1, I've been reading Genesis this week and preparing some messages. And, th- and this, this encouraged my heart when I read it this week. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep. There's a lot of definition we can look at. I ain't going to give you all that because I'm going to preach on this soon. But I want to give you this thought. Things are pretty bad in Genesis 1, verse, verse number 2. Whether you're a gapper or a non-gapper, that's neither here nor there. Things are without void. Darkness was upon the face. Darkness is prevailing. But watch what was still going on. And the Spirit of God moved. God was still moving. And aren't you glad God's still working behind the scenes? Even when, don't, when, even when it don't look like He is. Standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. So we've seen God working behind the scenes this morning in the choice of Esther. She made a choice to do what was right. And Lord willing, Wednesday night we'll get in Esther chapter number 5 and we'll continue this unfolding drama here in the book of Esther. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I'm glad that you are working. Even when we don't see it, even when we may not sense it, Lord, you are active and you are You are doing something in our lives. And God, we give you glory for that. I pray, God, that you would help us to keep that perspective. Lord, help us see the big picture and not be focused on the self. We realize there are other people in this thing. Lord, lost souls and, Lord, people with burdens and problems. Help us keep our our attention on that and keep our eyes on you. Blessing the 11 o'clock hour. Lord, I thank you for brother, Brother and Sister Wells being here. Pray, Lord, you'd use him as he preaches and speak to our hearts. Bless us today, we pray in Jesus.